Ah, so much I'd like to speak about this evening. I hardly know where to start. Um, I think I want to start with baseball. <laughs> How many here, I know this is cricket country, <laughs> and there's similarities. How many are not familiar with baseball? Lots, okay. Let me try cricket. <laughs> uh, how many are not familiar with cricket? <laughs> Good. Um, yeah. Um, cricket, I, it's strange. I live in Canada which is a former colony, still is in a way. The Queen is still our head of state, a member of the Commonwealth, and yet no one plays cricket. <laughs> so, it's a puzzle to me. Um, but I've watched quite a bit of cricket, having spent a lot of time in India and England. Um, and what I, what I gather from watching is that the the basic idea with cricket is that there's um, someone standing with the, the sticks behind them <laughs> and holding a bat, and someone else hurls a ball at high speed, um, and the person with the bat has the, the his, his job or her job is to whack the ball connect with it, really connect with it, with that bat, and send it flying, and then go running across the field, and turn around and run back right to where he started from. Is that basically, that's basically correct? And then the complication is that there's others out there in the field who are doing whatever they can to prevent that person from running across the field and getting back. Okay, is that is that it, Brad? Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> baseball is very similar. There's there's a person standing standing there holding a bat, except in baseball they hold the bat here instead of here. And then there's another person who throws at high speed a ball towards that person, or sometimes at the person, <laughs> and and the idea is to connect with that ball, swing the bat connect with the ball, send the ball flying, run around the bases and come right back to where you started. And then as in cricket, there's people out in the field who are doing all they can to stop that. Okay, so what's that got to do with meditation? <laughs> here we are, sitting here, I'm, I'm sitting here, attention in my belly, feeling my belly going out, expanding, Settling, expanding, settling, and a ball comes flying through the air at me. And that ball may be some other body sensation. It may be a thought. It may be um, a sound. Could be, could be anything. Could be a smell. Could be a taste. Could be anything. Comes flying out of nowhere. Have you, noticed, have you noticed how you're just sitting and all of a sudden there's thoughts going on? You haven't done anything to make them come. 
you haven't invited them, you haven't, they just come at you. <laughs> the idea with the practice is to connect with it. You connect. And when you connect, what usually happens is you run around a little bit with it. <laughs> and the idea is to notice that running around and come right back to where you started. Okay? It's just like cricket and baseball. You connect and you come back. You connect, come back. Connect, come back. And so, just as in baseball or cricket, part of the game is that ball coming at you. Part of life is that thoughts come, smells come, sounds come, um, things that you don't like come to you, things that you like come to you. And that's, that's how life is. And, and the practice is to be able to meet these to connect with them, to, to open wholeheartedly with them, and then come back, come back to rest. This is the practice. Now, just as in cricket and baseball, how there's these other players out in the field trying to stop you, we also have players out there trying, actually, they're not out there, they're in here, <laughs> trying to stop us. And these, um, these players trying to, trying to stop us are traditionally referred to as the five hindrances. And, um, and I briefly mentioned some of them last night, and I'll just mention them again, again now. Um, or maybe it was this morning. Sometime I mentioned them. So the, um, the, the hindrances, it might mean more to you today now because you've had the whole day to experience them. So first one, um, the Buddha labeled sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor. How many experience sloth and torpor today? <laughs> it's usually the most common experience on the first day of a retreat. Second one is um, restlessness. How many experience restlessness today? How many experience both sloth and torpor and restlessness? <laughs> Third one is um, the wanting mind, the mind that wants something. I want um, more silence. I want a more comfortable zafu. I want a better chair. I want, um, I want to be at the back of the room instead of right up at the front. Um, um, it's just, it's just all these wants that come up. I want different food. I want, um, I want to listen to some music. I, oh, I, I definitely want to check my, uh, my text messages. Um, <laughs> all these wants that come up and that prevent us from coming back, <coughs> from settling. How many experience wanting mine today? The fourth one is the mind of aversion, the mind that doesn't want, the mind that doesn't like. I don't like this pain in my back or knee or neck or wherever it is. I don't like, um, I don't like that we don't have more breaks. I don't like 
that um, my my zafu isn't soft enough. I don't like that um, uh, Brad and Norman are talking too much. I don't <laughs> don't like don't like don't like. How many experienced aversion mind today? And the the fifth one is doubting mind. What am I doing here? Why should I do this? What's the point of all this? How many experienced doubting mind today? It can also be, I can't do this. I don't think this is the right place for me. So doubt, how many experienced all five today? <laughs> okay, so, so with, 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 these, with these hindrances, with these hindrances, um, ultimately the way the way to um, the way to be to practice with them is to recognize that they're not really hindrances. They're just mind states, and when they get taken up and prevent us from coming back and settling, then they're a hindrance. It's like these these players out in the field. As long as they're just out in the field there and not doing anything, they're no problem. But when they when they catch the ball and come running after me with it, then then it's a hindrance. Okay, and it's similar with these with these hindrances. When we when we take them up and we start to believe, oh, this shouldn't be. I shouldn't be so tired. I should be wide awake. I should have lots of energy. Um, I, I shouldn't be so aversive. I shouldn't be like this, or or I am like this. This is the kind of person I am. Either way, when there's this taking up, then it prevents us from coming back. And if we can recognize these these hindrances just as mind states that arise the same way a thought arises. There's certain conditions that give rise to that thought. There's certain conditions that give rise to a sound. Not so much that I do anything to make it happen. The same thing with, with these hindrances. If we can recognize that they just arise out of certain conditions and we don't have to define ourselves in any way by them, then they're not a hindrance. Sometimes that's not so easy to do, though, because they do tend to grab us. We do tend to get involved, and and so so we have we have ways of um, of giving attention to them, of working with them, <laughs> of being with them, of of ways of of attempting to transform them from a hindrance to just a mind state. So for example, with sloth and torpor, we can um, just have a little stretch. We can stand up. We can open our eyes. Things that will help to, to bring up some energy in us. And then we can come back back to the belly, back to the breathing, and begin again. Restlessness. Uh, restlessness is a little more difficult. 
um, but wrestle with restlessness. Um, one thing that often happens with restlessness is we end up opening our eyes and looking around and saying, oh, nobody else is like this. <laughs> it's just me. Everyone else is sitting so peacefully and quietly. Close your eyes. <laughs> Closing the eyes is a, is a, a way of, of being with restlessness. Standing up. Standing is a really good practice when there's restlessness. Just to stand and, and really let everything settle into the feet. Walking meditation is good. Qigong is good. So find of ways, if I'm finding ways of, of being with that energy of restlessness. There's also restlessness of mind. With restlessness of mind, coming into the body, bringing attention into the body. And I think probably, um, probably uh, maybe a lot of you, but I'm sure a number of you are familiar with the mindfulness of the breathing at the nostrils. And, and today I've been coming to the belly, and it may be a struggle if you're, if you're used to that, if you're habituated to being at the nostrils. It can be difficult to come down. But one of the, one of the reasons that I come, two reasons, two main reasons that I come to the belly. One is particular to this retreat because it ties in the practice with the Qigong more closely. But the other is that the, the general experience is that the lower the attention can come down, the further the attention is away from the head, the less it tends to trigger mental activity. And so where there's mental activity, where there's mental restlessness, bringing the attention down can help to settle that. Not necessarily stop it, but the intention isn't necessarily to stop it. The intention is to be able to connect with it and then come back and begin again. So bringing the attention down in the belly can help to settle restlessness of mind. And similarly with the standing and bringing attention right down into the feet. So restlessness, wanting mind and aversion mind. <laughs> difficult ones, difficult ones. Um, but again with these, the more that we can see that they're just thoughts that just come. And it doesn't matter what the content is. If we can disengage from the content and allow for the presence of thinking and connect with that, then, then the thoughts aren't a problem. They don't prevent us from being present. They don't prevent us from being mindful. And then we can also when we, can, when we can recognize the wanting and not wanting as just as thoughts, then again we can, we can be with that by coming into the body. Come back to the breathing and begin again. Back into the body. The, um, one, of, one, of the, one of the intentions with the practice, at least at this stage, is to connect with present experience. And 
if we, if we look at the content of our thoughts, what the thoughts are about, maybe always, <laughs> but certainly almost always, it's either past or future. Have you noticed that? Thoughts are probably always, but I would say almost always, past or future. If we're really interested in what's right now, what's happening right now, the body, the body experience. When we come into the body and we feel the body, what we're experiencing in the body is happening right now. So the body connects us with the present. The mind can also, the mind also connects us with the present if we can simply recognize just the fact of thinking. That thinking is happening in the present. But as soon as we go into the stories or the words or the content, it's past or future. Ah, back to the body. Okay, so the wanting mind, the not wanting mind. Um, the, um, the doubting mind, the doubting mind. You know, the, 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 that, that doubting thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> we can take that exact same question and just kind of reframe it a little bit of what am I doing here? So it becomes not a question of doubt, but a question of inquiry. Why am I here? And sometimes it can, it can be helpful to take some time to reflect on that. And just, just take a few minutes and think about, okay, why did I come? Why was I, why was I inclined to come on this retreat? And sometimes in that, there can be finding some, some inspiration to continue with the practice. So just uh, just a few of the a few of the many possibilities, a few of the many ways for for opening to and being present with these these so-called hindrances, these people out in the field who are trying to keep us from coming back. And and with all of this, just just remembering that that. The very, the very basic thing is when we, is that we, we sit or we stand or we gently move our arms about, or we, we bend down. And, and, and in that, being, being present with that, being present with just sitting, just standing, just moving, you're allowing the body to move, and being able to recognize, to connect with when the attention goes to something else. And as we connect with that, remembering the simplicity of just, ah, just come back and start again. It's very simple. And if we can remember that and remember to keep the practice simple, sometimes the instructions get quite complicated and long and involved and um, but if we really look at it it's all just saying just 
just be present. Notice what's arising. Notice what's showing. <coughs> Come back and begin again. Very simple. So then there's the question, there is the question of why? <laughs> why should we make the connection run around a bit, come back? Why not just keep running around? Why stand there with the bat in the first place? Why wait for something to, to come along? Um, good question. <laughs> Just to be to begin to begin my own my own response to that, um, I, I have to refer to the the Buddha's teachings, and and re, and refer to what the Buddha had to say, and he basically he said the the purpose for practice the the purpose for this the reason for this is to understand and I'll explain this a little bit more. The purpose is to understand dukkha and to know the ending of dukkha. And this word dukkha is a word in, in Pali, the language of the Buddha's teachings, which is most commonly translated as suffering. Not very, not really a very good translation. It has some accuracy, but, but to really understand dukkha, there needs to be um, a whole bunch of translations and, and all put together. And some of the other one-word translations that are used are, that give a, a little bit bigger picture are unsatisfactoriness, dissatisfaction, stress is the, is the current common translation, stress. So the Buddha said the purpose is to understand stress and to know the ending of stress. The Buddha defined, defined or described dukkha. He said, um, dukkha is not getting what we want and getting what we don't want and being separated from what we cherish. And I think putting, putting these together gives a good sense of, of of what dukkha is, and and also I think gives a, a good sense of of the range of dukkha from very gross, very obvious, to very subtle. Just the most subtle form of not wanting what I'm getting. That aversion mind, that mind that doesn't like something. You know, something as simple as the the hardness or softness of my cushion. Something as, as simple and as subtle as oh, that, that itch in my back that's just bugging me and I can't meditate with that. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, all the way to the, to the, most, to the most gross, the most painful pain the most serious illness, the most tragic loss. 
So dukkha covers this whole range. And so, so the, Buddha, the Buddha said it's to understand dukkha and to know the ending of dukkha. And so then we think, well, how can, um, you know, how is um, sitting here and giving attention to this pain in my back and opening to it and allowing it, how's all that going to end it? <laughs> The ending of dukkha comes about through understanding dukkha, through understanding what dukkha is, and through understanding and knowing the cause of dukkha. And the way that we understand anything, if we, if we really want to understand something, the way to understand it is by paying attention to it. If we're saying, I don't like this, I want to get rid of this, go away, there's not much chance of understanding it. It's like if we, if we meet a person and our first impression is, I don't like this person, stay, I'm going to stay away from that. How will we ever get to know that person? Okay, the way to understand dukkha is to meet with it, to, to open to it to allow for it. Now that doesn't mean we sit here with the most excruciating pain and just because then we get into the aversion so strongly that we can't come back. We can't be open. We can't have this friendliness. This so we so so sometimes we you know we talk a lot about non-effort, effortlessness, but sometimes we have to make some effort. So perhaps making just the least bit of effort necessary to adjust the posture. Or if there's something going on in the mind really strong, some, you know, some really negative things going on in the mind and we're just caught in it, sometimes it just takes some effort to switch the thought, to start thinking about something, not necessarily something pleasant or beautiful or wonderful, but something that can cut through the negativity and help us to settle. Okay, so there's, there's, there's lots of ways that we can use right effort. And um, I'm not going to go into it in greater detail now. But, but just, just really important to know that there is a place for skillful effort. And sometimes the effort is just making that switch in the mind, making the effort to think about something else. So if, you're, if you find that you're angry at the person sitting next to you because they're fidgeting around or coughing or sneezing or whatever, switch the attention. Start thinking some kind thoughts for this person some compassionate thoughts for this person. Okay, just to, to cut through the negativity. Um, right effort. Sometimes <laughs> the, the Buddha said um, one form of right effort is avoidance. And he said, he said to avoid wild elephants and wild dogs and cesspits and bramble patches. And... <laughs> 
And so sometimes, sometimes, um, sometimes our minds go into um, bramble patches and cesspits, don't they? And so to avoid, to avoid that, and again, just to switch the attention to something else. Sometimes, sometimes we're confronted with wild elephants and wild dogs, not literally, but metaphorically. And sometimes we need to make the effort to put ourselves in a different place. To, to avoid situations that we know are going to be harmful or destructive. So different forms of, of right effort. But to be used skillfully when appropriate. Um, so where was I going with this? So, so the way to understand something is to, is to be present with it, to examine it. And this is one of the, one of the great powers, strengths, values of mindfulness, because this is what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is bringing attention. Mindfulness is, is paying attention to a particular object. And as much as possible, being at rest with that object, but when the attention goes to something else, which it will do, to notice that. And then mindfulness is that moment, that moment of being able to open again and coming back. That's a moment of mindfulness. So when you notice that the attention has gone off to something else, that's not a problem. You notice it, and then the practice is, ah, mindfulness says, come back. Open again to the breathing. And that's the practice. It's very simple. So we come back and we open again. And, and so mindfulness is that process of giving attention to what is. Giving attention, being present with what is. Being present, being present with, um, sometimes, often, um, in itself, doesn't bring the kind of understanding, the kind of understanding that, that ends the dukkha. Mindfulness is, is the foundation. And then along with mindfulness, there's a second quality that we've mentioned and, and the Buddha spoke of considerably, and that's uh, a quality that the Buddha referred to as investigation of states. Um, I like to refer to it as curiosity, or inquiry, or interest. So it's it's being mindful, being mindful of the present experience, but being mindful of the experience with real interest, real interest in wanting to know how it actually is. Are things the way they actually appear? And if not, 
How are they actually? And so this, this investigation of states, so it's an investigation, and investigation, it's not an intellectual trying to figure out or thinking about. In fact, the, the, the process of investigation is simply the process of being open to and being present with. But in the background is this, this intention for understanding. And investigation of states, the states refers to how is it actually? What's the actual state of this? You know, maybe, maybe some of you have, have noticed today, um, you have um, a pain somewhere in the body, you know, say a pain in the knee. And you're sitting and and all of a sudden there's that pain in the knee and that pain can feel so solid and so real and so kind of locked in. And we can get caught up in a version, oh, I don't like this, I want it to go away. And, and sometimes it seems like the more, the stronger the aversion, the stronger the pain gets. And then sometimes we find that we can just kind of relax and just, you know, kind of take the attention around it and find some space around that and just find, find a way of just opening to it and being gentle with it. And we start to notice, oh, wait a minute, it's not so solid. It's actually kind of more like a vibration. It's moving around. And sometimes we can, we can, we can, we, we open to it and and, and there's a real sense of being present with it, of allowing for it, and it disappears, it goes away. Ah, no more pain, what's happened? And so that, that pain that first appeared so solid, as we give it attention, we start to say, oh, it's not so solid. It's not so solid, it's changing, so there's movement within it. How many, how many have had that, that experience? Lovely. And that, that experience, that, that experiential knowing, and, and, and it's not something that you can tell yourself and convince yourself of intellectually or through logic, but but when you actually experience it, that, that knowing, that knowing of the impermanence, the changing nature of that sensation is liberating. And that, that knowing of how it actually is, this is what's called insight. And we call this insight meditation because the intention is for this understanding, this knowing, not from thinking about figuring out, analyzing logic, reason, but from actual experience, knowing how it actually is. And this is the insight. And these, these qualities of mindfulness and investigation of states, 
when these two are working together, they when when these two are working together, it's difficult to explain. They um, they kind of set into motion um, an an arising uh, an arising of a whole set of other qualities that strengthen and support the ability to be present with and to investigate. And so they become, so we say mindfulness is the foundation, and then we bring in this, this interest, this, um, this investigation quality. And, and what, what we find is that when we bring in interest, when we really have an interest in something, we're really giving attention to something, it has the effect of bringing up energy. Do you notice that? You can be so tired just kind of blah, blah, just don't want to do anything except veg out in front of the television. <laughs> and, then, um, and then a friend will come along and say, oh, let's do this. This sounds really good. Oh, that sounds great. And all of a sudden there's energy because there's the interest and there's the, the wanting to give attention. And so this energy comes not from anything that we do, it just arises naturally and spontaneously out of the presence of mindfulness and investigation. And when that, when that energy arises, then what comes along with that is a sense of, ah, oh, this is great, I really feel good now. A sense of joy, a sense of delight. And we can, we can find joy in and we can take delight in whatever it is we're giving attention to because there's the energy that gives rise to this. And again, it's not because I, I make myself feel happy and light and joyful. It just naturally arises. And, and that, that joy, when these, when these factors, when the, the mindfulness, the investigation, the energy, the joy, when these are all, when these are all present, it, it, has, it, it, it supports us in settling. It supports us in settling with whatever it is we're giving attention to. You know, there's more interest, there's more energy, there's... There's joy with it. And so, of course, we just want to be present with it. And so there's that, that settling and there's, a, there's a, a calming that comes with that, with that being present. And as we stay present with it, as we stay present with it, the attention gets more and more focused. Again, just as a natural process and concentration comes. And this is this is an important point because so often I people people come on retreat and and one of the first things they say is and this this is the uh, the wanting mind or the aversion mind I don't have enough concentration I don't have enough concentration I have to try harder to get concentration and 
And, and we can get a kind of concentration by forcing. We can make strong effort and say, I'm just going to force myself just to stay with this belly. Mm. Anything else that comes to my mind, just, mm. just this. And there, a kind of concentration will come. But this, this concentration that arises naturally, this is what the Buddha described as right concentration. And one of the prerequisites for right concentration is joy. <laughs> and so if you're trying to get concentration, if you, if you catch yourself thinking about concentration, okay, how do I do it? What do I have to do? Just check in and see, ah, is there any joy here? And if there isn't, you're on the wrong track. <laughs> okay, so, so this concentration comes and and then and then with all of these there's just so much presence the presence just gets stronger and stronger and the 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 attention with and the being present with and the openness with and the and the delight with and and then what comes along with all that is equanimity a quality of not easily being disturbed or distracted of being able to stay present, whether pleasant or unpleasant. There's the ability just to stay steady. And so all of these, all of these, these factors, once the mindfulness and the investigation factors are in place, these others just naturally fall into place, and each of them, each of them becomes a support for all of the others. And so the mindfulness and the investigation become stronger. And then the possibility of this insight, the possibility becomes that much greater because we're able to stay present, to really investigate how is it actually? What's the actual nature of this? of things. And so so this is this is this is in a nutshell this is how the practice brings us to knowing the ending of dukkha. When we know the state, when we know the nature of things, there's a releasing that happens. It's not that I let go. It's a release that happens. And in that releasing, in that moment of the release, is the moment of knowing the ending of dukkha. So we sit on the cushion, we stand on the floor, we be in stillness, we be in movement. And it's all for just the simplicity of playing cricket or baseball. to connect and to begin again. Connect, begin again. Connect, begin again. And these and these qualities, these qualities develop. These qualities have their arising. And they support us in the practice. And 
and support us in, in, in the potential for these, this wonderful insight, this wonderful liberating insight that is possible for each and every one of us in this very moment. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes and bringing mindfulness and interest to the experience of this body just sitting and just breathing. Not me doing it. Just this. May all beings be free from hindrances. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings know the ending of Dukkha. So it's time now is for some walking meditation.